Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. No, 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 Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped. And yes, that's right. I'm excited. I'm excited again. We have a guest on today who was on the original list at the very, very beginning when we came up with this idea to do a podcast. And I made a list of the people I wanted to speak to. And I was really, really keen to speak to this man because I love the journey he's had, the different experiences he has had, the places he's been, the people he's met, the people he's influenced. Um, Been in education, a bit like myself, but travelled the world in different cultures, bringing different things to different environments. But the thing he's always done is made places better when he's been there. He's picked them up in one place and he's taken them forward. And he's doing that right now in a place not really that well known for rugby, but I'm pretty confident he's going to make some very, very big progress with the team that he's working with just now. He's just come off the back of a very long, arduous journey to get home. So I'm absolutely delighted that he's given up some time to speak to me. Uh, Please welcome the one and the only Mr. Damien McGrath. Hello. Hello, Bruce. And uh, well, thank you for for asking me. I remember uh, sitting on a plane um, flying from (laughs) Dubai to Seattle, filling in a a questionnaire for you on when you first started the Happiness is Egg Shaped. that's right. You were one of the very first interviews. Yeah. yeah. That, that took up 20 minutes of your of your journey time, I reckon. But it was brilliant. And I learned so much from that. And I've admired what you've been up to for such a long time. And you're so interactive on Twitter. And, and I love to see the things that you post and present and respond to. At the moment, you're with Germany. Now, nobody really would pick that as being a big rugby nation. But there's so much going on there, isn't there? There is. I mean, it isn't a big rugby nation and it's very much a, a niche sport. Um, they hit the headlines a few years ago when um, the owner of Capri Sun, Dr. Bill, um, poured his millions in and they uh, they imported a lot of overseas players who were German qualified into playing the 15s and it looked as though you know rugby was really going to take off. But as always seems, you know, everywhere I've been in the world, politics uh, always plays a part and that all seem to um, to disappear and rugby's uh, hit a low point and it's just rebounding uh, a little bit it's it's a very small very committed community um, you know, as, as always when you go to a country you, you you manage to find a rugby club and you find great people who who love the game and and are committed and 
you know, follow the results from all around the world, like everyone seems to do. So, yeah, it's very, it's it's a small rugby community, but you know, my goodness, it's it's committed. That, that, that is for sure. Did you do much background on it before looking at it? Did you investigate uh, clubs and players and history? No, I didn't. And and the history is amazing. I, I don't know if you know that they were playing before the you know the Second World War. They were they were on a par with France, and uh, I think they. In the in the little rugby museum in Heidelberg, there's the original silver medal from the Olympic Games in when the when rugby was first played in the Olympics. It's it has a a, a really strong history and a long history. But um, I didn't know any of that when I, I you know I, I finished in Canada and I thought maybe you know it's time to go home. Um, and I got a call from uh, Manu Wilhelm, who's the uh, CEO head of performance, and he said, "Look." We, we, Sevens is is the one thing that's strong here, and you know we're an almost team. We've almost made it to the World Series, and um, you know we just we're looking for that next step. It's only an hour from home. I'll, I'll never forget him saying that. You know, you can get a flight from Frankfurt to Manchester. It's an hour. Um, you know, you can get home you know, quite easily. Not realizing that the pandemic was going to set in, but um, so you know, it was the it was the closeness to home and the. And that one last challenge, you know, you, you, I always, just when I thought, you know, it was enough, um, that last challenge, I, I love a challenge. So that's how I ended up up there. And uh, I don't regret it. It's been, a, it's been a fantastic experience. And are you looking at it and you can see potential? Were there, were there quick wins that you were able to make as well as trying to put something in place that's going to last? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, um I always try and sell sell a little dream, you know, and, and make it, you know, look as though it's achievable fairly easily. And um, you know, we looked at uh, what we could do to make things better, rather than you know what it, what it was that they were doing wrong. And um, we we got off on the right on the right foot. We we had a success in the World Challenger Series uh, in Chile, and we won that. And it looked like we were favourites for the qualification for the World Series, and it was. It wasn't difficult to to get success because they had all the the makings of it um, in already there. It was I just felt it just needed a few tweaks and twists and polishes and like I said, just you know sell them a little dream that they could you know uh, that we all felt was achievable. So that was that was the way I approached it. How do you sell a dream? Are you a storyteller? Oh yeah, I bore the pants of everybody. I have a story for every occasion. Every player I've ever coached will tell you that. They, uh, and the other coaches as well, because I've always, I always, you know, when you get old, you suddenly have, you've always been there and done something similar. So, but you know, I think to be a to be a coach uh, and to be a successful coach, you have to be a salesman. You have to sell your way of doing things. You know, and if people think it's uh, something that's worth investing in, they'll, you know, they see value in it. They will invest. They'll invest their time and their their efforts. Um, so you have to. You have to think of how you know. Just going in and saying, "Look, you, you can't pass, you can't catch. Your you know defence is rubbish, and I'm not really happy about your set piece." Doesn't really, you know. I'm, they'll all just roll their eyes, and they've all heard that. You know, we can do. As you said, we can do this, we can do that. But I like to to tell them a few you know steps and how it can be done, and you know what, what what their strengths are and how their strengths can take them forward. Because one of the easiest things in sport or in life is is to is to point out what people do wrong. I do it every Saturday watching the football on the telly. You know, um, you always think you know better, but um, I, I always feel that people's strengths are their uh, are their key. You know, to take them forward. And if you if you seem to value what they can do right from the beginning, uh, you know, people get on board much quicker. And the the environments you've been in, the cultures you've been in are are very different. Um, you went from. At the time, and I know that you probably maybe laugh at this, but England Sevens had resource, had facility, was backed, I suppose. Um, but then Samoa is a whole other environment and culture. You go to Canada, you're now in Germany. You can't be the same, Damien, in all of those places, can you? No, you you can, and uh, but you have to you have to think about your approach. I mean, I can take it back even further than that. Where when I first left rugby league and came over to rugby union, it it seems ridiculous now because the games are very close together and there's no um, there's no animosity. But 
they were only four years into professionalism when I first left um, rugby league and went over to join the England performance department. And it was very much an amateur approach. And, and I came from a professional background in, in rugby league. And you had to be careful. You didn't go in and compare the two sports because they were, they were so, the ball was the only thing that was um, the same. Everything else was different. You know, their mindset, their approach, it was, it was difficult. Uh, and also, and I, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, virtually everybody was from a, a private school and, you know, I was, whilst I was a teacher and, and educated to a degree, I suppose, I, I um, it, it, it was a working class sport, rugby league, and, and, and the players in rugby league had a different mindset. It was very much coach-led, um, whereas as soon as I got into rugby union, they questioned you far more. People didn't accept what you said and so, I, you know, I had to I had to change my approach there, and it, it was good in, in a very positive way. Think about what you were saying and why you were saying it, and justify what you do, uh, and also take on board that two-way um, interaction far more than maybe rugby league did. Um, so that that was that was my first cultural shift, and um, it, it taught me some good lessons about about listening more as well and. Uh, I've always I've always been good at getting on with people. I, I like to think I, I'm a people person, and the hardest place. And then I went to Spain, which after you know one of my many sackings in in my hundred year career, um, I, I ended up doing a couple of years with with uh, in Spain when I, they had an uh, an influx of of money around the 2006 mark, and they they decided to invest in the team. With a with a view to qualifying for the World Cup, and they went from thirty second in the world to nineteenth, and we we had a great time for two years. But there was only two players in the team that actually spoke English, and I went to skills and defence, and I, I, it was a it was a great lesson because you say things and you expect people to pick up on the nuances of what you say and and you know what you were inferring by what you were saying. But I had a guy who was just um, translating verbatim, and people were just. <laughs> We're doing. I, I mean, it was just at the time. I, I, when you say something and you look to your left, and everybody's gone off to your, the right to do something different because they've taken it the wrong way. And so that was a that was a, a terrific, um, a terrific lesson as well. And think very carefully about what you're going to say and what it is you mean by what you say. Um, because as I'm, you're finding out now, once I start talking, I can't stop. And I had to think about being more concise and um, you know to the point. Um, Obviously, I couldn't tell any stories because that was. A, it, whenever I tell a story, I'm the only one that laughs anyway. So that, that particular bit would never have changed, but um, that, that that taught me a great lesson. But the hardest place I've ever been, the hardest place um, I've found culturally was Wales, which seems bizarre when it's only two and a half hours from here by car uh, from Leeds, where I am now. Um, North Wales. I, I became head of rugby in North Wales. They were looking to make it to the into you know, North Wales is a huge area. Well, it's almost a third of the country, and they wanted to make it into the next region, uh, RGC Rugby Gogleth Cymru. So um, we had to start from scratch to get a team together from all the little village clubs uh, dotted around North Wales. And I don't know if you realise, but North Wales is predominantly a Welsh-speaking area as well. So most of the boys only spoke Welsh as a first language and English was their second language. So as soon as you used to go out to the local village club, it was, we, Chris Horseman was the, was the, the, the other coach working with me, the, the, who played for Wales and uh, for Worcester. And we used to say we, we have to go out into bandit country because it literally was like that. You got out there and you just didn't, you, you didn't see anybody for, for ages. And then you suddenly come on this little village and they'd look at you as though you were, you know, somebody with two heads and trying to sell um, a Welsh dream as an Englishman in a Welsh-speaking area was probably the toughest gig you could ever possibly do. But, I mean, I, I think they'd probably hate the English more than they hate COVID-19 if it had been around the time. You know, the, that, that, that animosity that the Welsh of all people, even more, I think, than the Scots uh, have with the English. And I had to, you know, try and sell sell me and sell the, this vision we had for North Wales and, and get them to invest in this regional team and could we have your two best players you know um, it, that that was a that was a really uh, tough thing because you've got to you have to see it from their point of view and you, 
you can't demand. You've got to try and get people on side. I know I'm telling everybody what, that they probably know, but God, it was a, it was that was a tough one. You know, we used to go out every Wednesday. Rupert Moon, the great Rupert Moon, who uh, he was the general manager, and often it was the three of us would jump in the car and we go you know, to Brofastini or go Bethwelly or Nant Conway. You'd be out there uh, and go into the clubhouse, and they'd all sit, you know, not a smile on their faces, looking at you. And I'd stand up and the the English accent straight away and it was uh, that was a, that was a, it was a great two years out there but that was a, a really really tough thing even more so I think than flying the other side of the world um, and then of course went to, as I, as you said I, I went back to England to, to assist Simon Amor it was his first coaching job I did a year with Simon and then went on to Samoa which um, it's it's a it's a ten beer story Samoa I, I wouldn't know where to start it was just there, there are so many things uh, that happened, and and some of the some outlandish things. And that, but it was a great place. I, I mean, what an amazing! I, I don't know if you've ever been to the South Pacific. As a little boy, I used to watch. Uh, you, you think Tahiti and those places were like the most unbelievable places. You think you'd never get there, and and Samoa's very. It's that palm trees and coconuts and you know blue seas all the way around and. If you're going on holiday, it's amazing. You know, my wife had the best time of her life. She said it's the best <laughs> we've ever been. But um, man, rugby was that was something else. It was. I was the first ever overseas coach. I was the first non-Samoan ever to coach there, um, and they call white people Palangis. And and as I could hear the word Palangi everywhere. Every time I turned my back, it was. It's one of those places where they needed uh, at that time in their rugby. They needed an overseas coach, but they didn't want one. If, if you understand what I mean, they they knew they needed that outside influence to come in and try and change things around. But they didn't really want anybody coming in and being, you know, they wanted their own people in. And very much, it's been like that in other parts of the world. I understand that it'd be the same, I suppose, in most countries. You know, you yeah, in Scotland, you don't want outsiders coming. You you want your own people, and, and I understand that. But um, and Samoa was just, you know, it's, it's, you know, there are churches everywhere. You can drive around the the, the one main island, uh, Apollo, in, in about four and a half hours. It's tiny. Uh, and there's a church every 200 yards, you know, um, Catholic, Mormon, you name it, there's a church. And they all, they're still very poor, live in villages. Most people sleep on the floor. Um, and yet there's this big, spectacular church in the middle of it all god knows that you know well i know where the money comes from for it from the poor people but so church family is very important and rugby is just about as important as religion i think two hundred thousand people live there and of those two hundred thousand, one hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine are expert coaches let me tell you <laughs> everybody had an opinion but you you must have loved it because you you brought them success oh i had a great time and uh I bet everybody's the same. When I got the job, I thought, this is like Christmas. You know, you, you brought up on the story of Great Pacific Islander in rugby league and rugby union. You know, I thought, I can't, get, I can't wait to get there. The players are fantastic. I, I can do something here. What you don't count on is the interference from outside. The Prime Minister was the chairman of the board. Mm. Every morning with his security detail, he'd come and sit on a bike in the gym. Big, huge, fat guy he was. He'd come and sit on the bike in the corner and just cast his eye over and then send one of his... Uh, minions over to tell the manager who he felt was training well and should be in the team. It was, it was, it was like that. Um, but it was a, it was a terrific experience. That they had a high performance unit, which it looked like you know the fairground after the fairs left town. It was just a, like a disaster zone. And we had a few ripped up bags and no water. The showers didn't work. And I think the Chinese had built this facility some some years previously it was crumbling but but the boys were, were fantastic they used to, lorry used to go around the island at start at 4am in the morning and pick them up from different places you know and they come in singing and so that that part of it was was terrific and what what did what did you get from that that then without maybe the science or the support team or the what where did that take you to as a coach but you know, it underlined something which I'd, I'd, I'd always felt was true, even from being a teacher. That connections are important. It's Samoan culture is um, where if you're old, you have automatic respect, um, 
and young people are very much seen but not heard. You know, their their, their opinions are encouraged. Um, older people eat first. Um, all, all sorts of you know very old traditions that they they very much stick to. So you know you know the drill. You, you've got the players round and and you're speaking and. Um, most can understand English. A lot of them can't. So I've got someone just again translating. But I've learned the lesson. I'm not being. I'm not saying too much. And you ask a question, and you look. You know, you want in some interaction, and everybody's eyes are on the floor because that's how, that's their culture. That's their tradition. You know, they they're not there to give opinions. They're there to be told. Um, and that's how the other coaches have been with them. And my biggest. The success all came from when I managed to get them to look me in the face and when they could trust me enough to speak and it wasn't going to be an issue for them because it, it would never happen, you know, with um, with Samoans in in the past. Um, there, there were crazy things that were against Samoan culture, like even when we were away on tour, if there were no meeting rooms available, because Sevens is such a small squad, you could meet in someone's bedroom and, you know, and plug the laptop into the back of a TV. It's against... Samoan culture for young people to sit on an older person's bed. So, you know, if we met in the coach's room because it was bigger, you know, there's just, a, you know, a hotel room, there's, there's only a bed in there, isn't there? So I'd, I'd just encourage them all to sit on the bed. Well, I mean, that was one of the, the things they used against me when they wanted to sack me, you know, that I didn't, you know, I, was, I was disabusing culture. But, but there, were, there were all sorts of cultural differences which I had to be aware of and, and get round because as soon as you connect with people, um, you can you can then they can they can see that you value them and if you value them you want to know what they're feeling and how they feel and um, you know I spent a lot of time on on that part of things because uh, they could all play rugby and and, and getting them into a, its shape of a team was much easier once we were all on the same page and all you know happy and feeling confident and comfortable I suppose very much like you would with any team but it was harder there to to get over that barrier it was difficult to start with and I, I, I always love speaking to Simmons coaches and Simmons players because the environment is so different um from the professional 15s there's fewer people obviously which means the connections are potentially easier to make you spend time in airports and hotels and it's a road show you go from here to there but in rugby league it was autonomous the coach told you what to do you did it you did it really hard you then learned a little bit when you you moved and then you go on the seven circuit it sounds to me like that's the dream job for you you're able to make connections you're able to bond with people share the experiences and then help them to become better rugby players. Yes. But that thing we all love to say, we're making them better people too. Yeah. Your, your experience had led to that, hadn't it? It had. Yeah. I mean, the sevens lends itself to an intimacy that, that 15s doesn't, that's for sure. Um, and you, you can make those connections much easier, as you say, because you spend a lot more time together. Um, it's only part of the journey, though. You know, you've still got to know your onions on the rugby side, and and people, I love it when you go on Sky Sports and you, you switch on. And whoever's you know, when Leicester won the Premiership at football a few years ago, you know, beating all the big guns, they spent hours talking about the culture there, as though they were doing something. You know, they were they were sprinkling dust on in their uh, on their food to make them different. You know, that everybody does more or less the same things, and you know, the best coaches manage to make it inclusive, but. Players will will buy into you, and and your way of doing things. If they see, as I said at the start, they see value in it, and they can see success. Because every, you don't want to train hard and say, ah, "Coach is a great bloke." You know, we had we had such a great time, but we won diddly squat. You've still got to you you can be you can be um, still authoritative as long as you set the boundaries out and everybody understands what you're doing. That word authentic often comes up in modern coaching parlance, doesn't it? you know? What's what's one of the things you need to be a coach? You have to be authentic. Well, authentic, I just means being they can trust your word. If you say this, it's going to happen. And if you tell them why they're not in the team, they take it. They, even if they don't agree, they understand that you have your know, reasons for doing it. It's not on a whim or because you know your wife told you to do it this morning. It's 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 the whole package. It's uh, but that connect if you if you connect with people, and I think same as a teacher and uh, and whatever walk of life, you 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 connect with people, they'll 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 come along with you. Um, all the, I can remember, 
at still at school, the, the names of my teachers from all those years ago who made me feel the same way. You know, I loved being in their classes because they connected and, you know, how they made me feel and they valued what I did, but they also told great stories and they made, they made things come alive, but they knew their subjects um, and they could have a big stick if they needed to. And I, I tried to, I mean, I, back in those days, it was literal, wasn't it? But, um, you know, I, I tried to take that in when I became a teacher. I wanted, you know, I always wanted the best for everybody. And, um, you know, I would I would always value everybody's thing. And I do it even now in Germany. I still do the same thing every morning at training. I speak to everybody individually uh, in a positive way somehow before we start training. You know, even if it's in the, the stretch and the warm-up, I'll go around and, always mention everybody's name because people like to feel included and it's just I just think it's so important if you if you're in a people industry then you've got to make people the most important thing and you know that's that's just how I've always been and yeah when you did your interview for me a long time ago and I asked you who your role models were and you you were pretty clear on on how important family have been there, there's no way you could have predicted the places you've been and the things you've done when you were heading to Batley to play rugby league. You, you must, you must look back with a mixture of pride and amazement. Well, do you know I, I often read on on social media, which I know you should, because social media can be it can be a rabbit hole sometimes about people complaining that job opportunities in the professional game aren't there. It depends what you're prepared to do for them. I mean, I had a I had a great job as head of PE. Um, it, rugby league was professional, but only that you got paid for it. Everybody was part-time, really. You know, PE teacher by day, rugby player by night, um, as it was then. And to leave my teaching job, to take a gamble to go full-time as a, as a coach, was a, was a huge thing. It, you know, if you think about it, you know, I had a, I had a young family, uh, you know, and a, the pension, everything was there. You know, I could have... I could have stayed in doing what I was doing and, and helped out the local club. But I had this desire to be a coach. And, and sometimes if the chance comes, you have to make a choice of whether you want to do it. And there's always a sacrifice to make. And stepping out of that comfort zone was was difficult. And I didn't know, there was no safety net. I didn't know where it was going to take me, what it was going to do. And I just made the choice then. And, and family, you need your family to be behind you or, or that can never happen. You know that they will support you through thick and thin, and there's been a lot of thin. Um, and it was, it was, a, it, it was, it was daunting, but but I loved every second of it. You know, even looking back now, I, even the bad times, you know, I've, I've loved every every moment. Um, I don't. You're talking about traveling the world. Do you know how I got into rugby union? Is is was to do with travel, uh, and not in the way you might think. I was. Um, I was at London Broncos when Richard Branson had, had bought the, I left Leeds Rhinos and uh, they brought all these overseas stars in, the captain of New Zealand rugby league, captain of Australia. We got all these overseas stars in and, and Richard Branson uh, w- was really hands-on with the club and I came down as assistant coach to do skills and defences. I always seemed to do at that time. And um, I had a great year there, but bizarrely now from where I am now, I was homesick. I was, you know, I was staying with my sister in London and her family, but three hours drive from from, and I, I thought I can't do this. You know, I'm missing home. I've got to go back to the north of England. And Joe Lydon, uh, he was the famous rugby league legend who, who'd gone over to work with Clyde Woodward. This was 2000, 2001. And uh, Joe was was a great friend. He'd been performance director of the rugby league, and he. he I was I was talking to him and he said, Ellery Hanley has been helping Clive and he's leaving. Clive's looking for a replacement. Do you fancy it? So I spoke to Joe and Clive and they said, Look, you can be based at home. You can you can you know you can work out of Leeds, just come into camps, travel to games. I thought, absolutely you know, and it was exciting. I thought, what a great challenge as well to go into, you know, what looked like a a, a, a different sport and and I, I love being challenged and I as you all do when you're a young coach, you think you know it all as well. I, th- I can take everything I know and make a difference. It'd be awesome. And I can live at home. But I haven't seen home for the last 20 years now. I just, I just I've been constantly on the road. Little did I know that, um, you know, I'd never really get my bum on the set a year for hardly any time. So, um, 
so that yeah, that's that, that was how I ended up. I was sold on a dream of, of, of uh, never having to leave Leeds apart from <laughs> get out of that there, yeah. London. Yeah. I, I I would I've I've been a, I'm a PE teacher, been a head of PE, yeah. but I can't imagine what it must have been like as the naughty little boy getting sent to see the head of PE when you were head of PE. You you must have played that role nicely, did you? Yeah, I, I thought, yeah. Like we all do, you think shouting's going to make a difference. I quickly learned that. Didn't I? I, I was in it for my sins, a bit like I'd always loved to, it's never going to happen now, but I'd love to have coached a, one of the top teams. You know, I'd, I'd like blue chip players to play, but, you know, rather than always, I mean, to, and, and I don't mean that in any way disrespectful to the boys I've coached who I've loved. Um, and I always wanted to coach in a, in a, a school in a nice area, but I always ended up in inner city schools. So, you know, I ran the rugby league teams and, and most of the naughty boys has always played in those teams. So I, I, I managed to keep keep everybody in check and, you know, I tried to make lessons fun, I suppose, like everybody does. But um, one of my best ever coaching stories was was, was when I first, that first year, um, you know, when you, you have... It was the under nines, and they were brand new to to rugby. Um, and you're trying to explain before the first game like, yeah, what I mean. Rugby is a much easier game to to explain, you know, in terms of positions and things. And the little boy who was fullback said, "You know, what is fullback, sir?" And I said, "You know, football." Yeah, I said, "It's like the goalkeeper." I said, "Yeah, the last line of defence." Right, got you. He said, "I've got you." Brilliant. So I never forget. And back in the, it was on a huge field. You know, one of those full-size adult fields, under nines. And you know, the kid on one team runs across and like a swarm, they all follow another. And it was just, it never got past either side of the halfway much. And then late in the second half, the big kid on their team suddenly went right down the middle. And you know, you, you focused on the on just on the ball. And I looked around, where's the fullback? And nobody could see him. And he stood underneath the post like the goalkeeper. <laughs> And he, and he has literally stood like this. He's been and the, in the points, he's been stood like that all game. He stood like this, waiting. This kid's running through. I only found out afterwards that the teacher and the other school had said had been explaining the same thing. If you break through, you probably have the fullback to be. He's like the last line of defence. So this kid had taken it literally. He could have scored anywhere. He just said, "Right, I've got to beat the fullback." He could have put it down. He runs straight at the little kid stood with the ball, so he nails him and he drops the ball and. So again, you know, you talk about remember, be careful what you say. That was a, was a lesson I got there. Yeah, you, you make an analogy. Be careful because the children take it verbatim. Oh, it was just. Uh, I, I always it sticks with me forever. That one. I, I can remember having a student teacher who had a hard time because he couldn't work out what this kid was doing. But the if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Teacher told them to go and look for space. And the kid was a mile away <laughs> trying to find space. And Yeah, you're right. And working with 
people with English as a second language must be a challenge if you start using metaphors and things and, and telling stories. That you, you then go from Samoa that you can drive around the island in four and a half hours to Canada that you know you're you're still looking at the same stretch of water for four and a half hours. You're not even round the lake yet. Yeah. Canada intrigues me for rugby, and it's it's had its issues, um, but it's a big bloody place, and there's a lot of athletes there. How how did you find that experience? Because it must have been so different from everything you'd had before. Well, it was because it. Um, I mean, they've got all the ingredients to be successful at rugby. It's um, it, it's one of those frustrating places because I mean, I had my issues with Rugby Canada. It, it, you know, which ultimately led to my um, removal. But the, you know, the game's based in Toronto, around that Ontario area, which is under snow for most of the year, so only has a, a limited um, time, a couple of months, three months, I think, for the season. And then the next big area is, um, you know, six-hour, seven-hour flight away in uh, Vancouver, you know, British Columbia, uh, where we were based in on Victoria Island. Where there's the BC Premier League that plays, you know, the, the climate similar to here in the UK, and they play that same um, sort of uh, time frame. So the finding the players wasn't as straightforward as because I always like to you know to travel and and see people and let them know there's a you know getting back to that connections, but you know the, the finding people in or going to see people in Ontario on weekends off was 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 hard going because it was you know. It was, it was more than going on holiday in you know, on the summer here. It was, it was a, it was a long way. So, the the travel issues hit me straight away. But um, they'd had they'd had not not great success. And in fact, I don't think they'd um, they only just avoided relegation. And I arrived, and I remember meeting the team for the first time. I'd flown into a camp because my visa wasn't quite ready. So we met in a camp in the US before flying back. And I'd got there first, and they came off the plane, and you know those that. Hangdog look, they, they were all, and I found out after they decided, well, we'll give him a couple of weeks, this bloke, and if it looks like he's as bad as this fella, then, you know, we'll, we'll call it a day. And, and I had to go through a lot of the same thing that I did in, in Samoa, in that you have to build that trust and, and get people with you straight away. And at least they could understand my stories, but I got, you know, the same type of response from the blank faces. Um, but we, yeah, we, um, we once we once we got together, it, it was all right. But I mean, they, they, there are so many great athletes, and I'm, I hate the word athlete being used in rugby because it, it just speaks of athletic prowess and not really about rugby talent. But they did have athletes. I mean, some really really big, strong, fast men, um, and there was this um, football, uh, the, 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 the Canadian football, which is like a gridiron type of game. Um, which which is big as as big as ice hockey there, and um, there were so many. You, you're looking around, think I could just need to get a hold of a few of these crossover athletes, and we could we could hit the big time. But there wasn't a great will from Rugby Canada to make that happen, which I was disappointed in. But you're right, I, I, there's there's more to rugby in Canada than's probably been shown, and I hope they get their act together and, and get it sorted out because again, there's some fabulous people there who who you know who just want the best for the game and, and want to grow it. So it was a, I, I loved my time in Canada, you know, and it, I was so disappointed to leave. It strikes me as being a bit like Germany, but just with supersized geography, there's a small band of very committed, you know, Nate yeah. Hirayama, what, I mean, what a servant he's been to Canadian sevens and, you know, instantly recognizable to everyone because he's been around for such a long time and, and what a player. But are there there must be more of those guys around, but trying to find them is a challenge. Well, and it, it's not so much find them as, as giving them the opportunities to to uh, to play at the next level, and and that's what I'm finding in Germany. It's not that we don't we, you know we don't have lots of players, but just because they're from Germany doesn't mean they don't have some talent. And it's finding a way to give them opportunities to develop that talent, uh, and that's our that's our big um, challenge in Germany. We. You know the the bulk of the senior team in the sevens are late twenties, thirty now. They're not going to be here, you know, much over the next couple of years. So we have to bring that next band through, but we have to give them opportunities to play. And you know, the the 
the level of rugby in Germany is is poor to say the least. You know, the Bundesliga is is it's not great, and the level of rugby in Canada in the domestic leagues wasn't fantastic. But what they had, you know, the MLR has been a, a and will be, I think, a great boost for for that because that gives some of those Canadian players uh, an opportunity. Um, but for all for all the smaller teams, um, that's why sevens is important because it it puts them on a big stage and if. Overseas clubs see them, particularly for Samoa. It's why sevens in Samoa is so important because it it's a way of feeding their 15s team. If they can get their best sevens players picked up by clubs overseas into the 15s, then they come back into the the, the senior 15s team, and um, that you know that, that should be the the challenge. You know, should be the the way forward. I think for sevens as a as a game to 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 let people see you know some great talented players who. Who might not get through the conventional 15s pathway, an opportunity to show what they can do. And let's face it, you know, huge TV audiences, big crowds in the stadium, their skills under pressure. If you can crack it there, then you know you should be uh, a really marketable product for some some team somewhere. Does your paternal instinct kick in with some of these boys when things like that do happen? You know, in amongst that crowd will be agents and scouts from the big professional teams did, did you provide a lot of advice and support to players to make those decisions i did if they asked I, I would never go i would never go chasing them but i mean i i treat them all like my children anyway and i still i stay in touch with all of them even those kids back at that school i talked to you about now they're still they're in the 40s now and they're calling me sir still you know but i you know i i want the best for people and uh Adam Zaruba, who who played in the, in the the Canadian sevens, went to the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, it was his dream to play in in the um, NFL or to have a, a chance to go. You know, and, and for North American kids, it's that's that's the be all and end all. And um, he was unsure. He, he thought it might be making a a mistake because he he wasn't sure just how good he was. But he he, he desperately wanted to try it and. Sometimes you know it would weaken our team if he left, but I, I knew how important it was to him, and I, I, I had to encourage him to go and say, "Look, you know, we'll always be here for you and stay in touch." And you know, and he he went and had a had a shot, and you know, enjoyed every second, and sort of scratched that itch, and then it, it didn't quite make it, and you know, we brought him back. Um, so you've got to look at it from from every point of view. We even even up to now we. Just recently, we played. We took a German development team over to play in the Rugby Town Sevens in Colorado, which is a big American sevens tournament where yeah. all the best players there. And uh, we took a young uh, young English guy who's German qualified with us, who'd been training with us. I won't mention his name, and uh, he did really well for us. He was terrific. And um, but because it wasn't an official event, he wasn't captured for Germany. But you know, we he did enough, and I, I picked him for this recent World Series. Uh, events in in Canada, and he rang me the day after we got back to say, you know, I've, I've been I've been approached by GB. They're struggling for a team, and they want me to go. And you know, you, you knew I, I knew in my heart of hearts they were just you know probably just using him because they you know some of their bigger names were resting. I wouldn't be there, and it just sounded as though they they were using him as a filler. But I knew as a as a young English guy you know the, the pull of being picked for gb would be fantastic whereas you know i had the feeling that staying with germany would probably be his, his best long-term future I, I hope i'm proved wrong but and I, the turmoil in his you know in that young lad's mind was you, you could hear it in his voice and you know, i encouraged him to do it i said look if that's what you want to do you've got to go do it and and even i think that's part of it is, is making sure it's there it's what they what you feel they need and want as opposed to what you need and want because it, it would have been easy for me to you know to chop his legs off and and try and you know make it difficult for him but it's uh it's been that and i'm sure you know as a teacher you 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 want the best for them and and you, but you you've got to understand of course that you know they see things in a different way don't they and, it sounds to me like you're you've been able to park your ego. Is that something that's come with age and experience? Well, as hard as it is to, I haven't really got one. Um, I, I dra I've, I've always been. Uh, if the team can be successful, I always feel it reflects well on everybody. Um, 
I had this fabulous coach when I was assistant at Leeds Rhinos called Graham Murray, um, who, who gave me a great lesson in that. Um, we played live on Sky one Friday evening against London Broncos, as it happened. And uh, with about 10 minutes to go, we were losing. When we were top of the league and going to qualify for the grand final, and uh, we made a substitution and a tactical change, and the game was won in the last minutes. And, and they, they interviewed Graham live on the pitch, uh, Eddie Hemmings and... Uh, Nick Stevens, yeah. yeah, and they said, Graham, you know, you're another tactical masterstroke from you. Um, there, you know, he said that wasn't me. He said that was my assistant, Damien McGrath. He, that was his choice. He, he said I was struggling, and he came up with you know that change, and and they said, oh, fantastic. Which, man, I, it never happened to me before where somebody would say that. He, he could have easily just said, yeah, yeah, it was something we talked about, but he didn't. He, he gave me all the kudos for it. And it didn't diminish his position one little bit. In fact, it you know all the staff and all the players saw and heard it, um, and it it just sort of grew his reputation even more as a as a caring leader. You know, who put everybody first, and it was just a you know that again you know those little lessons that stick with you. And that was a it, it boosted me. You know, it, it gave me a profile that I didn't up to that point have, but it also you know taught me that lesson of. You know, it's, it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as the team win, you know, and, and, and then usually everybody gets the reflected glory anyway. So, you, You've spoken a lot about players and kids that you've taught and, you know, playing that role of being kind of their, their dad as well. But you've had a lot of experience of managing up the way or having to deal maybe with what's above do you think, did you ever appreciate that when you started coaching, that that was part of the gig? No, I didn't. And it held me back for a long time because I didn't want to get involved in any of that. But you can't disassociate yourself from it. it it's unfortunately part of the uh, a part of the role. Um, it's amazing how many people above you think they know more than you anyway and, and want to interfere. But politics are the same the whole the whole world round. Everywhere I've been, there's politics. And, and you can't get away from, you know, the manoeuvrings of of, uh, of polit- you know in sport it just it's a it's a an unfortunate part of the job but you have to you have to do it and I'm not as uh, I'm not as abrasive with people interfering now as I used to be um, you know I just try and explain and then go do my own thing anyway but uh, and and that's part of um, I mean that's part of your being a coach and getting the players to trust you is that the players know you have their back or will represent them in the best possible way with with the people in the front office because you know they're always trying to save money and they 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 always want to to chop people's contracts and do other things but you've got to you, know, you the players want to know you've got their back and uh, I've always I've always done that often to my detriment which is why I you know I seem to be always getting hoofed out of somewhere someone it's always because I've stood up against something that I think is wrong or you know, I didn't agree with um, which is what happened in Canada for definite but um, it's just one of those things unfortunately did did you have or have you got players did you have players that you you could see they could become coaches in future could you well, see things in them that you thought you've got it yeah yeah I mean um, you mentioned Harry Armoring you know that I was I was so lucky in Canada. There were there were three the, the three legs of the rugby stool were Nathan Hariyama, John Moonlight, and Harry Jones. And they, you know, John and Harry were real war horses, and Nathan was more the um, you know the, the silk silk purse. But they were great leaders, respected by um, by the players as much for what they did for the players as for their playing prowess. You know, they they would lead the group against injustice as well as um as well as other things but they also was happy to run things and talk about you know how we do things and what should we do and why I was doing things and, and take their feedback on board because they thought deeply about the game. Any of those three could have been or could be great coaches for sure and um I don't know. I, I I would never have thought I'd have been a coach because I, I was so insecure and, and and lacked confidence. And speaking in front of people would you know I couldn't think of anything worse. It'd be like a death by a thousand cuts. 
so God knows why I became a teacher then. But um, yeah, uh, I think some people shock you sometimes. It's the people you least expect seem to come through. But um, those three guys in Canada definitely. So going back to that, then becoming a becoming a teacher, it's certainly not for everyone. Um, and you you don't do it for the money, do you? So yeah. you you go into that. Was it? Did it just make sense? You loved playing rugby league. I've heard you say before that you were a jack of all trades, master of none. PE teaching gave you the chance to be involved in sport because at the time there weren't too many yeah. professional coaching opportunities. Yeah, and and I think also the biggest influences on my life were were my PE teachers, probably. Um, you know, as I'm sure for many, um, you know, I, I loved what they did and their selflessness and you know the time they spent. You know, outside of ours, as you said, certainly not for the money, and and rarely for for any praise, because you know people just take them for granted, and uh, it just seemed a, a great way to stay involved in in sport and on a daily basis. And um, I never thought it'd lead to what it did, but it it certainly did. Did did the kids like that you were playing rugby league? Did they ask you about it on the Monday morning? Oh, did yeah, they give you a yeah. bit of stick? Did they? Yeah. Yeah, they followed it. They followed it um, they, because Radio Leeds used to cover it live on Sunday afternoons, and they'd they'd always they'd always get the. I mean, we hardly ever won a game, so it was that was easy. it was always stick. But um, yeah, it was it, it was yeah it was a good connection. Again, that was a connection between them, and they like they enjoyed that. That Sir was a, a player, so. So what what would what would make you go back into school? Is there is could you see yourself? Well, I'll, I'll take a couple of years and go back and be a teacher. Never, never. In a <laughs> I actually did a day's supply in. I'm trying to remember the year, 2008, maybe one of the in, in between one of my many sackings. Uh, and my wife said, "You can't sit here all day waiting for the phone to ring. You know why don't you? Why don't you sign up for a supply agency?" They sent to me to a, a secondary school in somewhere in Halifax. I thought I'd gone into Bedlam. It was just chaos. And I, I, in the staff room, I, I thought, I don't know how these people do this day in, day out. I couldn't wait to get out of there. The kids weren't interested and, and you know, the discipline side just seemed to have disappeared completely. So I, I, I cut that straight out. That was, the, that was you know, I, I take my hat off to everybody who, who teaches because, you know, it's certainly certainly changing of course it has since the you know 30 years since i left but um it it's uh it's not a job for everybody as you said and and it's special people uh are teachers very special people and again I, I just don't think they get the 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 praise and the you know as i try to value players i i, I hope that headmasters and they value the people they have because i know how how much work they do and how selfless they are Apart from yeah. your yeah, exactly. I was, I was going to say, I was about to say amen to that, and then you yeah. had to go. Yeah. You, when you're on the the seventh circuit, you spend a lot of time with your own players, but you must also have enjoyed sharing a coffee with players from other countries, coaches. Um, how, how did you enjoy that aspect of it? Well, that that's one of the pleasures of it. Um, you know, when you go on a, a, a training course or a coaching course. The best part of it are often the coffee breaks or the nights at you know in the bar when you and you sit and chew the fat and you and you can talk about the things that are common to to all of you, uh, and that's the best thing about the, the seven circuit. You know the the coaches who are prepared to sit and and there have been some great ones. Andy Friend, who's at Connacht now, was a great guy for getting everybody together and just talk about you know the things that that connect you all and and it's amazing how many people have the same issues and. Some people don't, are guarded to begin with, but then you know you can you can get into it. And Sir Gordon Titchens, who obviously the, the great legend who was with uh, New Zealand for so long, um, replaced me in Samoa. And to, even when I was with Samoa before then, England, you know, getting him to talk to you was almost impossible. He'd done three months in Samoa, and he wanted to have a coffee with me every day to talk about. Uh, what was going on and how life was and, and, you know, share the same sort of issues that I had with him because obviously, you know, we, we had, I was one of the few people who understood what he was going through. So that was, that was good because, um, you know, Gordon's a great guy as well. And the, the looking ahead to what you're in just now, 
how do you get those that German squad and support staff and the other coaches around? How how do you get them to experience those things? Are you sending them out to invitational tournaments? Are you trying to make connections to give them those experiences? Yeah, well, we we are now that you know the restrictions are starting to lift. Obviously, that the, the two years I've been in Germany, which seems to have flown by, eighteen months of it have been under the pandemic. Um, so it's they they've had to rely on my stories and my version of things, and and I've done a lot of work uh, with the players and with coaches. You know, just I, I suppose mentoring would be a way of describing it, but. But trying to pass on my experiences and my view on things, and but also stressing that you know you can't, there isn't one way that fits all, and you have to, you have to, you've got to, you know, find out what ingredients are available to you. And um, you know, if you've got mince and tomatoes and spaghetti, then spaghetti bolognese is the is the dish for you. But you can't turn it into filet mignon. And that, you know, a lot of a lot of coaches I've found come with an idea of. of of how they want their team to play, but they haven't got the, the ingredients to make it happen. So find a way. And I think if if I've had success relative to where you know the teams have been when I arrived, it's because I found a way that suits the players we had. Uh, and I think that's always important. And I've I've tried to pass that on to you know to, to everybody I've worked with it. If you could if you could write down how to be a coach in a book, there'd only be one book and everybody'd do it. There's millions of books where everybody's got an opinion. But in the end, it's working out what's best for you, you know, taking the things you like, leaving the things you don't like and, you know, making sure that they work. Um, I like to think that, you know, we've talked about connections with people and things, but I also like to think that I, I, I understand the game and I'm always looking at challenging my views on the game and how I play the game. And um, those those things are important. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I like to speak to people about, and I've been lucky to speak to so many people through doing this podcast, yeah. looking back on my time in, in sport, I can remember four or five results um, or, you know, there's there's objective things I can remember, but it's connections, it's feelings, it's experiences, it's memories that, that are the stories I can tell. When you look back, you've had some real high moments with the teams you've been with you've won things that they've never won before in places that are far from home how how do you enjoy those and how do you savor it without it becoming the be all and end all because i always um, i always remember the bad times um you know they, another one of the words that comes up in it, resilience you know mental fortitude whatever you want to call it I always have a like a personal highlight reel in me. When things aren't going well, or, or when I've been out of work, you've got to you got to remember the things that got you where you are, or or, or why you do what you do. And I always have a a, a, a sort of a mental show reel that you know I'll, I'll think about the things I've done and and those great wins and and the great players I've been lucky enough to meet. Um, but at the same time. Even last weekend, you know, uh, Germany finished fifth on the World Series, albeit a, a, a restricted version of it. But that that's history for them. They never, there's not, they've got nothing near that in their time. And I remember standing on the field afterwards after we we scored a try in overtime to win it against the USA, one of the, the big guns. And I, I just took a second just to savour that moment because often we don't. We 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 uh, we get caught up in emotion and then move on to something else. but I, I looked around and I looked at the players and how happy everybody was and the staff and I served every single second of that and I, I thought I'll, if things get tough later I'll I'll just remember that moment and then we started talking about what's coming next for us and you know what 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 can we do to to move move the team forward because you you can always rest on your laurels and then get tipped up so is there is there a moment where that didn't happen? So I, I, I listened to Johnny Wilkinson, who said he would give anything, not for the final whistle in the World Cup final, but for the last, I think he said, 30 seconds, because they knew what to do. They felt confident. It was almost that flow state. He would give anything to be in that moment again. Now, he, did, he didn't say that he missed it or he didn't appreciate it at the time, but is there anything you look back on and think, I wish I'd just stopped and, and done what you'd, you've just done with Germany and sort of savoured it? I think as a younger coach or player, I, 
I missed all that out, and I wish I'd have done that more often. And it was only as I got older, I, you, you'd start to appreciate what you've got. And I, I, I'm thankful for everything I do. You know, I, I was the pandemic's been hard for me because I've been in Germany and my wife and family have been here in England and travel's been impossible. I've been there for months at a time, feeling sorry for myself. But, I, you know, I, I'd go stand outside and make myself do it and look around. I'm in Heidelberg, one of the, you know, it's the second oldest university in the world, the home of Princeton, this beautiful medieval town of the castle. I'd have never thought when I was, you know, in Bradford all those years ago that I'd ever be stood here like this. And never mind that I'm living here and I can walk to the cafe or bar at the end of the street. It's 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 something I think you, you need to do all the time. Just just savour it because I think life just moves on so fast. And especially for us, we're involved in sport. I know I follow you and I know all the things that you're involved in and match days and things, but how often do we do we just have a look round and think, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm doing this. And I can't believe who I've just talked to or, you know, who I've met. I, you know, I went, I had two years at Leicester Tigers with when with and that team virtually won the World Cup for England, Martin Johnson, all those guys. And, I, and that's one, I, you know, I took that for granted a little bit too much. And uh, whenever I meet those guys again, I, I, I just think, I, look who I'm talking to. Look who's just said hello to me without me having to go up with a, an aspirin autograph. You know, it, they've said hello, Damien, to me before I've spoken to them. I, you can't, you can't buy that. That's that's just that. Those are the great, as you said, memories and the things. If you savour it, the memories will stay. And is that wasted on youth? Have, have we, are we only learning that because we're getting a bit longer in the tooth? I think you do. I mean, and you can't, you can't say it, can you? You tell people, but they have to live it to understand it. I, I know that's that, that's a fact, isn't it? Um, I, I'm trying to tell my kids that now, and you know they're in the twenties, and it's the same as my mum and dad saying it to me. You you, still, you have to trip yourself up to to realise it, and I think that's one of the reasons why there aren't any or the very few, if there are brilliant young coaches, it's 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 a, an older person's game because experience counts for so much as a coach. As opposed to a player, I think, when you can be precocious, young teenager, and just, you know, get by on your talent and you begin to understand the game more then as you get older. Whereas as a coach, I don't know if you found the same, you go in with ideas and you think you know what you're doing and then suddenly, you know, you're sat on your backside because it's all gone wrong and, and you don't have a, a mechanism to deal with it because you've got no experience in it. Um, and one of the, if there is a, an upside to being older, it's that you, you've got plenty of lived experiences and if you're smart enough, you'll learn a lesson from them and, and be ready for it next time. I love it. I absolutely love it. I've, I've loved speaking to you, Damien, so, so much. And your your stories have, have kept me going. I absolutely love it. So we, we finished this up because I've taken up a lot of your time and uh, it took you a long time to get home. So I don't want to keep you away from that couch that you're desperate to sit on. Yeah. So at the end of this, I asked I ask people to finish the sentence and I'm intrigued as to what this is going to be. So for you, Damien, happiness is? Having a night on my own settee in my own house. It really is. And you, you must be more of a Coronation Street than an East Enders kind of guy. No, I'm not. I'm not a soaps man. No, I'm, uh, I'm more highbrow politics and. Uh, yeah. I love it. And the the future for you? Um, well, Germany I, for the foreseeable future. I, I hope we can we can qualify for the World Series, and the big hope is to try and get into the Paris Olympics. That would be a, an amazing thing, but. Uh, I hope I can just leave them in a better position than I, than I found them. Well, I think evidence would suggest that that's what's going to happen. Damien, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved speaking to you and I'm, I'm hoping one day we, we get to meet in the flesh uh, and I'll be asking for your autograph. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring a printed card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just last thing, uh, talking about that, it was when I went to Samoa, it's as close to being in a, a boy band than I've ever been. It was, I said there's only 200,000 people. I was the only guy on the island with white hair and they knew I was the coach, which made me second only to God. I think, in terms of, I had more selfies. I couldn't go shopping. Everywhere I went, it was coach, coach, can I have a selfie? Will you sign this? And, it, and for three weeks, it was, it was marvellous. You think, I could live with this. And then it just became too much. So I'd have to say no to the autograph after that. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, sir. All the best. I look forward to seeing you soon. Pleasure, Bruce. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks.
I love it. I love a storyteller, and he's bang on. The experience is is what you remember. Uh, he's made connections all over the world, and he's made every team that he's had better. The proof is absolutely there. I can't wait to see Germany in the Paris Olympics. I think they'll be the team to watch. I've loved it. I hope you've enjoyed it too. You can catch us on Apple, Acast, and Spotify. You can watch us on YouTube and Facebook. If you liked it, tell us about it. Leave us a review. Subscribe and tell your friends. But for now, my name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast, and my happiness is egg-shaped. I look forward to seeing you all again very, very soon. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. What? 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 Um, happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.